Stew here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique, and your conversations should reflect that eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. Just two more episodes to go now from the Australian part of this year's tour. And this one is with the fascinating and very funny Felicity Ward. (laughs) So, Felicity Ward, how the devil was Monday night? Oh my goodness, it was magical. It you was were at the Athenaeum, which yes. is a 900 seat at 850. 850, and you were doing The Hedgehog Dilemma, yes. which is the show of yours I saw last year at Edinburgh, yes. yeah. <coughs> and to a large invited audience and taping it. Yes. Tell me everything there is to know about that experience. Um, all right, it was much larger than I would have booked for myself. Okay. Um, I And this is why I like having a producer, because I go, we should probably do it in like a 50-seater, make sure that it's sold out. And he's like, no, nah, sure. man, got to do it big. And, okay. and so the, the idea behind it was I was going to America. Um, I went to America in February, March to do pilot season. Okay. Um, yep. Auditions and gigs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so I wasn't going to be able to write. And I didn't want to break in a new show at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Sure. I usually do Adelaide Fringe Festival. And the show is usually ready to go then. But a lot of the fat drops off over over the course of a month. Gotcha. When you're doing a show. Um, you would know that. You've done, yes. you've done a couple of shows before, haven't you? Uh, one or two. That's one or two. Um, so we thought it was dangerous to do it, break it in a new show at Melbourne Comedy Festival. Okay. So we thought we'd still like to have a presence. Um, and I wanted to film The Hedgehog Dilemma as a DVD properly. I, I'd done an archival filming in um, Edinburgh. Okay. Um, and so we wanted to find a beautiful theatre so it didn't just look like a black box. And so we booked the Athenaeum for a one-off. Great. And, um, yeah, it was just, I mean, the tech rehearsal for the day went for about six hours. Okay. And we spent a lot of time trying to get lights right and sound right and all of that okay. stuff. Is there a lot of, I don't remember there being a lot of tech in the show. Is it just a case of from the point of view of filming there's going to be... Both. So okay. there's, there's actually about, well, I had to drop a couple of the music cues because... There was a couple of little sound bites um, okay. that were songs, which obviously you can't use in the oh, DVD. Yes, of course. Unless okay. I want to play. I think I saw you on Facebook saying, "Hey guys, can I get yeah, some yeah. legal advice?" I know. Copy right. Yeah, yeah. Perfect place to ask for legal yeah, advice, perfect. and I'm pretty sure that's legally binding internationally. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then the, the, there is a song that was probably too. It was always supposed to be like an homage to Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Okay. 
but it was probably too close in the original incarnation. Yes, I remember it now. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we had to rewrite the music for that, and okay. I had to rewrite the melody for that the day before, and um, and then the lights. We had to make a 850 seat venue one look beautiful, but also make it different enough throughout the show because it is a show rather than just like straight stand up tell yes. jokes for an hour. Sure, I know that it's different to that, um, and so there was some like nice dumb subtle things that um we kept the the lights on the curtains and the lights on the juliet boxes because it's like an old almost melodrama style theater um the same color for the three major general states but there was a psych at the back um i think it's also called a scrim which is just a big white screen like a massive projector and so those colors changed throughout the show according to my emotional oh my god that's so clever oh okay. what a horrific <laughs> bitch I am so we did that yeah okay and how was how was the show how did it go I assume it go it went well it was well. magical it was just one of you know when you just have one of those shows you're like how is this all happening right at the oh, right time man, that's great yeah it really is when you're spending a lot of money to film a DVD sure how did you how did you feel going into it how did you feel on the date were you nervous no, I was nervous because um, I had to do a bit of a warm-up before just to say, hey, you're on camera, let's do three different kinds of claps and laughs. And oh, so- nice, so you did your own warm-up, yeah. which eased you into it. Yeah, yeah okay. so I sort of bumbled my way through that and did a bit of, uh, uh, and, we- and no people in the front after the show starts filming. I'm like, glad this is happening now. Yeah, sure, okay. And um, and then it, the, the show starts. I usually start in a wedding dress, so I was able to go out and just do it in the black top. Great, shorts okay. and singlet without giving that that's a really good doing your own warm up in that context is a really good idea it's because so you meet smart. them they meet you and then you go right the show is a special thing which mm. happens now and then they all go crazy because I mean, they love you anyway they're there to see you they were really they were just there from the get go like sort of as audience speaking they were emotionally available from the sure. get go and really supportive and okay and even the bits that there's a that as is with shows at about the 40 minute mark it drops for a couple of minutes the Mm. energy drops for a couple of minutes um and that happened and then when i needed them to come back up at the end they were just there so the back 15 20 minutes of the show was just roaring i hope it actually looks like that on dvd you know how sometimes you're like oh my god i had a cracker and And then then someone goes you look back at it yeah yeah, it looks all right okay i'm sure it will so what are your plans for the DVD? Was this is this sort of funded? Is someone invested in this, no, or is this, this you is, doing it yourself? This is Mama's getting a loan out, okay. and um, she does have. I also have a sister who's a bank manager, so or okay. bank lender, so she's going to sort that out. Okay. Um, yeah, it was basically. I just don't know if I'll do a show that good again. Okay. I'm, it's my big story. Like I think everyone has. Big, it's your big, big story. life story. Yeah, sure. And that's not to say that I won't have other things happen in my life that are good. But Could you give us give us a quick minute on the story? Because for people yes. who haven't seen it, the story is uh, when I was twenty six, I stopped drinking, left my fiance of eight years, had to move back in with my mum in a very uh, small coastal town about an hour and a half north of Sydney. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a license. Uh, you have to drive everywhere there. So I sort of became incredibly dependent on these people that were beautiful and lovely. I love my family, but sometimes sure. n- not the safest people. I don't sure. know. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it was a really, you know, like my family's quite eccentric and I really love them for that. Um, and then it was sort of about the, God, I'm going to use the word journey. Have it. Yeah, have no, it, that's fine. It, it is a journey. It's, that, you know, it's a journey It's show. not pretending let's, to be a journey. There's a real journey. Let's call yeah. it what it is. Um, and then it's about me, because prior to that breakup, I was on a sketch comedy show in Australia on TV, 
and um, which was, you know, mediocrely received by audiences and okay. critics alike. Okay. And then, um, and then that stopped, and then I wasn't anything like because I hadn't done stand up before, and that was my only foray into sketch comedy, uh, into comedy before okay. I was an actor. Okay. Um, and then, and then I didn't know what I was, and so I sort of had these two years. Actually, someone you've had on here before, Heath Franklin. Yes. I was his tour manager for two years. Okay. Production manager. I was just thinking of Heath because he came to. It wasn't the same sketch show. Yes, it was. It was the same sketch yes. show. Okay. So when the sketch show finished, I didn't have a job. And Chris, who was the producer, said, do you want to be like production stage manager? I'm like, I haven't done it before. He's like, you're hired. Yeah, right. And so I did that for two years and I didn't, because I didn't know what else I was going to do. So you saw him do a load of stand-up? Yeah. And was that, I mean, that kind of, was that your first exposure to stand-up? Had you been to stand-up clubs before? Yeah, I'd been to stand-up before. And when we did the sketch show, we did it as a, um, at the comedy festival. Sure. So I saw lots of stuff then. Okay. Um, but Heath, actually, actually that, those tours strangely taught me heaps about heckling. Yeah, so I, I really love heckling. I don't, I, oh, God. <laughs> oh, careful. I don't mind heckling now. Yes. Because uh, after a one, because Heath is so good at he's counting. He's phenomenal, isn't he? Yeah. He's phenomenal. He is such a, he's such a brilliant, brilliant mind. And um, just watching him every night just be that... I don't know. Am I allowed to say one of his counter heckles? Yeah, probably. I mean, it was yep. just. It was. It will stay we've, with we've me. We've credited him. We're fine to yes, refer to it. Is, yeah. So this is. I was. I was operating the the computer and calling the lights and sound in the show. And and Heath um, drinks beer as the character of Chopper. Mm. And he usually drank over you know the show. It went an hour ten or something. Three mm. beers. And it was starting to get too much, so he started drinking light beer. Mm-hmm. And someone during a show yelled out, "What are you drinking light beer for?" And you know, said the name and probably called him a faggot as well because mm-hmm. initially that's the kind of audiences that he got. And he goes, "What?" He goes, "How come you're drinking a light beer?" And he goes, "Well, the interesting thing is, uh, when I drink this, finish it, smash the end off." jam it in your stomach you'll say it tastes like a light beer but a glass is like a full strength amazing I was just thinking going, where are you from <laughs> incredible yes yeah, so I got to do that for a couple of years um, with him but also Chris who was the producer and Heath and myself were the, uh, the three on tour right gotcha and I was this was straight after that breakup so I was emotionally fragile sure and those guys, I love them dearly. They're like brothers, but we are brutal and they are brutal. And okay. so we would just be bantering, you know, the whole tour, these yeah. four months at a time. And I'm sort of going through the biggest emotional development of my life and physical development mm-hmm. of my life, geographical, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to become really good at fending off their banter, I suppose, or their okay. insults. Okay. And so that I've taken on stage and taken into my writing and stuff like sure. that. Sure. Sure. So then just to, just to kind of finish that development. So that was your, you were tour managing. You weren't gigging at the time. You weren't doing any spots anywhere. You were... The only thing that I did was we had this show called Chopper's Bingo where we would literally play bingo where Heath yeah. was um, the bingo caller as mm-hmm. Chopper. I was his drug addict niece, Jenny, and Sammy J was um, musical uh, accompaniment. Gotcha. And they were just, they were just really dumb games. Like we would play bingo and then play games in between. It was really dumb. So that was the only time that I was on stage. Okay. Okay. And then, um, and then, oh, it's a convoluted story as to how I got to stand up. We have time. We have time. Oh, I suppose this is actually what it's about. <laughs> I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for the first time in 2007 mm-hmm. and went there as a visitor um, and met someone who was in a play with, um, with Heath mm-hmm. and with Sammy J and, and a couple of others and, uh, and also Adam Hills. And then when he came to Australia... Um, uh, my 
partner at the time, um, Adam Hills was doing a live Spicks and Specs spectacular show, which is mm-hmm. basically he has a, a music um, panel show over here called Spicks and Specs. Yes, which it's, is it's similar, similar, to, similar to Buzzcocks in yes. the UK, yeah. And so they did a live tour, and so we went along to that, and we were having a drink afterwards, and Adam said, uh, do you want a drink? And I said, I don't drink. And we'd just been, you know, mm-hmm. mucking around with each other and stuff like that. And he said... Um, if you can be this fun, half this funny, I mm. will get you on Spicks and Specs because we don't have enough um, young women that are sure. uh, that are funny. Okay. And I, it was sort of like, a, that's really nice. Obviously, you're the nicest guy on television. Yes, yeah, sure, okay. This lives up to your persona. Yeah. Very well done. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call saying, hey, this is the talent producer from Spicks and Specs. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. Oh, my God, okay. Yeah, so... Things like that don't happen. Sure. And I was very nervous, again, because I didn't really know who I was at that stage or what kind of, where I was in the world of performance. Yeah. And then um, then I did it, and that was the... So th- you did it before you were a gigging comic? <coughs> yes. Okay, you just did it as... Who, how did they introduce you? This, oh, from the sketch show. From the sketch God, show, Of course, yeah, okay, yeah. so you had an identity yeah. as a... Okay. So, yeah, like, if, if we were going to hinge it on anything, it sure. was, yeah, it was a, a, a culty kind of sketch show. Okay. So I did it, and that was the first time that I went, oh, maybe I can just be funny, mm-hmm. um, and I don't have to do a character. Because I was th- the year before, I was thinking about doing a show at Comedy Festival, um, and it was going to be a one-person sketch show. Okay. Um, and then I did it a couple more times, and every time I did it, I sort of felt a bit more confident. And then, and this is also in The Hedgehog Dilemma, this is sort of towards the end. So don't buy the DVD, it's not worth it hearing it all now. Um, uh, Ali McGregor, who is married to Adam now, yes. has a variety show during the Melbourne Comedy Festival yes. called yeah. the Late the Night... Late Nighty Night or, Night? Yeah, Nighty Night late Variety Night. Night. Variety Night, yeah. Um, and she'd seen me on Spicks and Specs and said, hey, if you want to ever do something, mm-hmm. you c- come and do it at Comedy Festival. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got to Comedy Festival and she's like, hey, do you still want it? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she said... We have one spot left on the last night, and that is the only spot. Okay. Do you want it? And this was about a week to go, and it was a bit of a fork in the road moment where I thought, if I don't take this, I know that I won't perform for a couple of years. Okay. And it was one of those, it was a horrible festival because everyone was going, what do you do? When are you going to do a show? When are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what I am. Like, I don't even know who I am. I'm 28 years old and I'm sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a tour manager and nobody respects, like nobody had any respect for me as like a production manager, a stage mm-hmm. manager. They don't want to talk to you at Hi-Fi is what I'm saying, Stuba. Sure. Okay. Um, and then, so I said yes. And she said, it doesn't have to be comedy. It can be whatever you like. So I got these toy tanks. I ordered them online. And um, they shot each other, and my idea was that I get someone out of the audience, ask them trivia questions about animals, mm. and if they got it wrong, I would shoot them, and they'd get an electric shock. Oh yes, okay, right, I've seen these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, which ended up being in my first show. Um, but I ordered them, and the postman turned up, and then they, he stole them, or someone else stole them. Okay. The apartment buzz. I was on the phone. I said, "Come up for level three, and then they disappeared. So I had two days, and then I had to do a twelve-minute comedy spot. So it was 12 minutes was my first stand-up spot. Okay, so in, so you didn't have the tanks. Didn't so have the tanks. So you wrote a 12-minute set. Yes, yeah, so from the sketch days, fortunately I'd kept a notepad and always keep a notepad and just j- 
just trawled through it. Went, oh please, let there be anything let funny. There be gold. Yeah. Not even gold. <laughs> not even <laughs> bronze. Not a place, mate. Yeah, sure. Just a participation award. Yeah, that is right. what I was looking okay. for. How do you talk for twelve minutes and uh, you know with the assumption that it's going to be funny? Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to do, so I just put all these things. And I'd written this song for my sister for her twenty-first birthday, and that was years before, like seven, eight years before. And I went, well, uh, maybe. Maybe the first bit of that is kind of funny. So that turned okay. into this birthday song, which, again, I used in my first show. And um, and before the gig, I was genuinely curled up in a ball, and I thought, you may as well have fun because you're going to kill yourself after this. So, so this was after the experience of doing Specs and Specs? Yes. And how had that gone? Had you been funny on the show? Was yeah, that a successful yeah, yeah, experience? that went very, very well. Okay, so you'd done the sketch show, Cult Success. <coughs> yeah. You'd done the appearance on Specs and Specs, but you've yet to stand up as you and go, this yes. is my act. My name is Felicity Ward, and I'm a stand-up comedian, and I am funny enough for you to pay money to see. Sure. Which is the conceit of being a comedian. Of course. Incredibly okay. So what was it, what was the other material about? It was, uh, it was about where I was from. There was a joke about uh, the place I'm from is Woi Woi. Oh, so the, the, and that's the translated, that means... The uh, teen pregnancy. Teen pregnancy, yeah. yeah, okay. So that one. Sadly, I wrote a lot of really good jokes for my first set, which I used for a while. Like, I have an, a drinking joke about being a, a, a allergic and to alcohol. And your skin breaks out. Yeah, 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 okay. So that was in my first set. That's interesting. Do you, do you think that the, the stress of going, holy shit, I've got to write 12 minutes in two days, gave you a creative burst? that then you, that stuff worked, so you hung on to it. I think that it had just been sitting there like still water for years. Okay. All of those ideas. Yeah. Um, that I could just go, well, that looks kind of funny and that looks kind of funny. And I still to this day, I, I, I'm sure we'll get to writing process soon, but I sort of get things delivered to me as if someone, as if I get jokes delivered to me in my brain. Okay. I don't, I'm not great at sitting down and going, Here's the subject. Spider map. Lists. Break sure. it down. Sure. My brain goes, here is a setup and a punchline and a tag. And that is all you will ever say on that subject ever and you can't flesh it out. Okay. So that's kind of why I keep notes so okay. de- in such a detailed fashion. Um, because I don't have the skills of most other writers, I don't think. <laughs> So this is Felicity Ward. I think she's a fascinating mix of someone who's very functional and very able to make use of her considerable talent, um, but who's also quite vulnerable and subject to a lot of stresses and anxieties that you wouldn't perhaps expect from someone of her talent. Um, perfect material for a comcom in many ways. Uh, we'll go into some depth on some very specific coping strategies for dealing with those things. And as well as exploring her stand-up practice, we also talk about the time that she spent in pilot season in L.A., Tickets are available for the up-and-coming king of the surreal one-liner, Benny Boot, on the Facebook page uh, on May the 29th in London. If you're interested in joke structure or that kind of mixing together of short jokes and a really strong persona that someone like Mitch Hedberg did so well, um, you'll be well up for that. I, I think Benny's just a, a superb act. Really looking forward to that. I'm also going to be quietly releasing details of some of my Edinburgh Live guests to the Facebook group. So have a peek there from time to time over the next few weeks to make sure you get a seat um, um, I'll be yeah I, basically if you're listening to the show if you're up to date with the show you're not going to miss out on links to to uh, the Edinburgh show as and when they get uh, finalised 
Um, so I, I do wonder, I still wonder about this, whether one show a week is flooding you a little bit. I keep speaking to people who say they love the show but don't really have the time to keep up to date. And this episode's nearly an hour and a half. So let me know with a tweet. As soon as you hear this, please tweet your preference to at ComComPod. Uh, either I'm swamped, if you've still got a backlog to listen to, or I'm starving, if you're desperate for me to keep knocking them out every week. I'm just canvassing opinions there. I've, I'm enjoying putting them out every week. I've got loads of content to keep chucking out. But sometimes with the podcasts I listen to, if there's too many available, it just kind of makes me a bit less hungry to hear them. I sort of feel like, oh, they're, they're always there, whatever. So uh, let me know what you think. Um, that, that'll do me for now. E- uh, emails to info at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, and now we'll go back to Felicity Ward. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So that was your first set, and then what happened? Let's just sort of finish the, the, the yep. chronology for the moment. You did that set, presumably it was successful? It was the it was the one of the best feelings I've ever had on stage. Okay. And the audience responded accordingly or appropriately. And I just all of a sudden I knew what I was gonna do and I um I was gonna move to Melbourne because I was living still at Mum's. Okay. I was gonna move to Melbourne and I was gonna be a stand up. That's what I just decided. Um, and for people listening anywhere not from Australia, mm-hmm. um, Sydney is about a 14-hour drive from Melbourne, mm-hmm. so I was living an hour and a half further away. <coughs> and so, I, yeah, I moved into state. So two weeks later, I moved into state. I got an agent. I got offered a job on radio, um, like a, a, just a short sort of pilot season of a okay. satirical news show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then put on my first... This is the precocious part of it. Four months after my first gig, I put on my first hour at Melbourne Fringe Festival. Wowzers. Which okay. is, I understand is not a great idea. I think people will be listening to this thinking that you lead some sort of charmed life. Like, I decided to move to Melbourne, yeah, then I yeah. moved to Melbourne, then yeah. I got an agent. So, that all happened really fast. Yes, but in the lead up to that, I have tried to be an actor since I was seven. Mm-hmm. I have never been paid for acting. Oh, I have since, since I've become a stand-up. Sure. I waitressed for years. I had a drinking problem. I had a lot of shit that went on before sure. all this great stuff. I, I, I'm not no, asking no, you to justify no, that thing. But, but it is. it was really... I, I wrote this article about sort of the drinking thing and um, because... You know when people go, oh, I'm just starting a new chapter. Everything's going to be different and they just sure. have a couple of wheat grass shots. Sure. And that's their life change. Everything changed in my life. Okay. Absolutely everything. And so I spent two years sort of drifting in the ether going, who am I? What do I do? Mm. There's, I don't mean to make this too deep, but I went and saw a therapist and she said there was an old Jewish philosopher. Um, his name was Hillel. And this 
much. This sort of was the beginning of me falling apart and, and building back up where the saying is, um, if I'm not there for myself, who will be? If I am there for myself, who am I? If not now, when? Okay. And she said that and I went, oh, I don't know the answers to any of those yeah, questions. Sure. And that sort of set it off. So uh, my sort of approach with stand-up is uh, my life has to be good for me to want to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. Like I am better on stage when my life is good. And so okay. I sort of see those interconnectedly. I'm a bit daggy and spiritual. I'm really sorry for anyone. I'm one of those spiritual, not religious assholes that people hate. Okay. But you're... but. Equally, you... I mean, so what is it? Is it the kind of cosmic ordering now? You decided you were going to be successful and then no. everything fell in your lap? No, no, or, no. I mean, is this a result of... This is a result of letting go and the right thing falling in front. So I don't, still don't have really any plans as to what I'm going to do next. Things okay. just feel instinctively like the right thing to do, i.e., I'm about to move to the UK for six months and people are like, oh, what are you moving there for? I'm like, I have no idea. It's just the right thing to do. Okay. So... Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're... Uh, to finish the again, to, mm. just to, to go back to that that yes, line, yes, your so you started your you started writing your first hour. So you've never trolled the clubs. You've never been a road act, or have you? I have now. Okay, but I, but I did it inversely. But Australia Australians also have a different attitude to festivals as the UK does. It seems, and this might be a generalisation. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like um, you, uh, you do open mics and then you uh, do clubs and then ye- after years and years and when you've got a really solid hour of stand-up you do festivals sure is that sort of a, a yeah a, lovely yeah yeah in australia especially in melbourne often um comics will do like a, a, a chunky handful of gigs and go i think it's time for a festival show next year mm-hmm. because melbourne comedy festival is here every year it's like if, if you all lived in Edinburgh, you'd probably do a show earlier, maybe. Yeah, okay. So in Melbourne... And there's also less of a circuit to fall back on. There's less of a... Absolutely. There's no place to prep your stuff other than doing an hour. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's... um, and I, But I didn't have any idea of protocol then. I just sort of did a bunch of gigs and I kept writing stuff. And Al Bro, who was one of the team captains on Spicks and Specs, says, I would happily direct this show. And I said, great. And I don't have any ego about bringing, you know, other people into it because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And we would just sit down and he'd tell, and I'd just tell him every funny story that ever happened in my life and every funny thing that I thought was funny in my life. Okay. And then we went through all of those. And he also helped me um, sort of, I didn't, there was extra places where jokes could go and I didn't know that that's where they could go. So okay. I'd say I looked... I, I'd say I looked ugly and you go well what did you look like and I'm, then I'd have to write like five jokes of what I looked like so wow. it was like it was like basic basic training I'd written sketch stuff before. it sounds like it's a basic training that no one else does that's an incredible that's a great way to start off to have someone mm. who's obviously knows what they're talking about go right let's turn you in, let's turn your experience into a show yes into material yes so well, you did you ever have periods of kind of looking at a blank page and going Christ funny mm, what can I how can I write something funny more now far more now okay but you but those are something you've come into rather than a uh, that's not where you're from yeah like no. you you so you so the first time you ever sat down with a blank piece of paper and thought right I've got to come up with something funny that was after being a successful stand-up and doing shows kind of yeah wow so the first blank piece of paper I had was Al Bro sure and me going all right well and also because he was 
you know, established and successful, I had that pressure of trying to impress him. And so in conversation, I will try, if I'm trying to impress someone, I'll try and be funny. And so I would say things and he'd go, right, we'll use that in the show. And I go, oh, awesome. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that pressure is interesting. Me and my friend Hutch have a sort of, we recently realized we've always, we've tried to write scripts together and stuff over the years. He's not a performer, but um, he's kind of like my funniest friend. Mm. And, uh, we discovered that we're much funnier when we're in a bar trying to impress a girl. Like, not to try and pull a girl, no. but just to have someone to show off in front of yes. is a million times funnier than if yes. we're just sitting trying to make each other laugh. Because well, we don't care about impressing each other. Yeah, well... Because he's a dick. I know that... <laughs> you hear that? You hear that? <laughs> I, I sometimes get self-conscious doing, um, like, these kind of podcasts because I... Um, I'm, I go serious and earnest way too easily. Sure. And I feel like when you do enough of them, people go, I don't think she's ever funny. I will never see her. Okay. Like did, I did like a, this show called Stand Up, Sit Down, mm-hmm. um, which is a live show where they interview a comedian, uh, sort of similar to this or similar mm-hmm. area to this. Um, and you do enough of them, you're like, I, would, I hope that people don't think that this is as funny as I get. Sure. Because it's hard to be funny when you're explaining something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's hard for me to be funny. That's fine. There's no, this okay. isn't a show, this isn't about being funny. This is fine. <laughs> um, so where did we get up to? Oh, yeah, so that was, I would just, I would just write. Mm-hmm. I would just write and write and write. And I had this dumb idea, like, again, stupid sketch ideas would come to me. And because the first show was a, it was called Felicity Ward's Ugly as a Child variety show. Gotcha. I so remember the poster. Yeah, okay. It could, it's that little poster. I tell you what, it's a little poster that could. Um, so it could it had all different elements into it. So there was a couple of songs, and there was the tank game at the end, yeah. and uh, um, and then there was stories and stand up and okay. stuff like that. So this was a show that you started writing four months into doing stand up. This is that's the first one, was it? Was that the same show? Yeah. So four yeah. months after I started stand up, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then that was at Melbourne Fringe Festival and and won Best Newcomer. Wowzers. So it has been a yeah, a charmed stand up existence. Okay. For sure. So do you <coughs> do you find that you do, does anything about this scare you? Or do you feel like I mean you you look and sound super confident it, everything you touch turns to gold. That's I'm not I'm not taking a piss, but do you know what I mean? That's kind of it's you seem to have had you seem to have made a lot of work which has been recognised as really good work very soon. Yes. You've had great opportunities to work with great people. Yes. At the centre of that, is there, are you one of those people who's just like, I've made this change in my life and now I'm completely confident about my abilities? Or do you kind of sit in the centre of it going, fuck, fuck, how is this happening to me? It oscillates. Okay. So when I first started... Um, I was just so excited that I'd made a good choice for myself and that um, uh, that I was by... Like, because when I was in the sketch show, um, there's six of us and Heath was at the forefront of it and sometimes Jordan was also at the forefront of it and they sort of had the biggest characters. What was the show called? Uh, the Ronnie John's Half Hour. Gotcha, okay. And um, I just... I didn't... Because I had never written comedy before and never performed comedy before 12 months before that show went to air... Mm-hmm. I didn't. I still didn't really believe in myself as a writer or, okay. as, or as a comedian, you know, in that sense. And it just felt like, and then doing the um, the chopper tour as a tour manager, it's, I always felt like I was in the shadow of Heath, and nothing that he did except be brilliant and 
which he is, but I did not have the confidence to go, well, maybe there's something that I can do just as well sure, alongside sure, of him. Sure. So I really had to move completely away. And then when I did that and that all fell into place, I was like, yes, I've done, this is a good idea. Okay. So in the beginning, it all felt very, like really, really great. And then when classic second show syndrome came along, I, we got to about um, three months before Melbourne Fringe and just before I was going to Edinburgh for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I said to my producer, manager, um, I don't want to do a show that is a poor imitation of the first show. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do, here's more of the same, Mark mm-hmm. two. And I said, I haven't written enough that I will feel confident. I said, you know what I have been doing? I've been writing these sort of comedic essays, like sort of humorous David Sedara style essays. So what if we just did like, what about if I did a show where I literally read these out of a book? just for Melbourne Fringe, just to see what it is. And then we came up with this conceit that it would be like, you know, smoking jacket and cravat, I would hold a pipe Mm -hmm. and I'd have a dog on stage and there'd be a fireplace and this Mm -hmm. was the idea. And we sort of did it as a dumb little show for Melbourne Fringe 2010 um, and it went quite well Uh and people were really positive about it. And my idea was that would be a once a week show that I would do for Adelaide Fringe Melbourne Comedy Festival the year after on top of my full stage show. And my manager said, how about you give yourself a little bit of a break and make this your show and then and it's a good show. Okay. And I went, okay, huh? okay, I can do that. And then we, so we did that and it was very, it was received very mixedly, okay. critically by audience. The listeners will be listening to this and think, thank God, something she did kind of oh, went yeah. okay to some people and not great to others. So okay. actually, it's sort of linking back into it, things got so good that they became overwhelming. Okay. So I got a, at the end of that year, um, after Edinburgh, I got a pilot. Um, I was like going to be on a panel, another panel show in Australia. Mm-hmm. We do love them here. Um, and I was going to be one of the team regulars on that. And so that happened. I did Christchurch Buskers Festival in January. Then one morning I had to get up at two o'clock in the morning. Then I had to fly to Melbourne. Then we had to film the pilot all that day. And then I had to go to Sydney and rehearse. We were doing a stage show of the Ronnie Johns Half Hour. Mm -hmm. And I was doing Book of Moron. That was the name of the show. Felicity Ward reads from the Book of Moron. And so it all started to happen at the same time. And so during Adelaide Fringe Festival, I was doing two shows a night and they were 15 minutes apart. Yeah. And one was a sketch show and one was this reading show. And then once a week, so I was doing that six nights a week, and then mm. once a week I was flying back to Melbourne, filming that TV show and filming, flying back in the same d- day, and that's flying interstate. Yeah. And, uh, and it was all just getting a little bit much, and because the reviews weren't great and the numbers weren't great, I was starting to get anxious, and that was actually, this is enjoyable, the beginning of my anxiety disorder. Okay. Thank you. And then that just slowly, I slowly deteriorated over the year as I did that show more and more and it was consistently received mixed reviews. And I'd already booked in, I was doing all of Adelaide or two weeks of Adelaide, a week of Brisbane Comedy Festival, three weeks of Melbourne Comedy Festival. Uh, Then I was doing New Zealand, which was just a stand-up show. Sure. And then I was doing some road show, which is Mm -hmm. sort of what Melbourne Comedy Festival does as a tour. And then I was doing Edinburgh. And so it was my year was booked out mostly. And by the time I got to Edinburgh, I was a mess. And by the end of Edinburgh, I was just about ready to give up stand up. 
Okay. I was, yeah, pretty out of control. So when you say that that show received mixed reviews, were they the first mixed reviews you'd ever had? No. It's it, it, uh, Ugly got mixed reviews. Some, it was like threes and three and a halfs, but it was, it was a lot of, you know, three and a half, but reads like a four, those sure, ones. Sure, sure. So it still felt validating. Media were very positive. I got nominated for newcomer at um, Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. And Edinburgh, it went really well, and I got a lot of so, publicity. So what I, I think what I'm getting at is in the life of most comedians, there's yeah. or most comedians I know, there's quite a lot of being on a stage, bombing, having people hate you. Yeah. Confronting that, yes. confronting people not being up for it very early on. Yes. Do you feel you missed out on? Yes. That. Uh, well, it felt like it came as I sort of lost belief in myself as I did my second show. Because mm. the, the first show was like there was a lot of it was it was a bit weird in spots. I'm a little bit unusual. Um, like I had a sketch where there was a steak that was my dad while my dad was away. It was called Meat Dad. It was still pretty <laughs> funny, but. People in Adelaide, not wild about it, got cut from the show. Sure. So, so sometimes I would have weird nights, but with more on with the second show, it just felt like I hadn't written enough jokes into it. Okay. But also... So you, you were sort of forced to confront th- that thing of this might not be very good, which up until that point, you, you hadn't <laughs> had to... It really occurred to me. Sure. Well, you, you see what I mean? And the difference in the yeah. genesis of most comedians, there'll yeah. be a lot of... You may, if not getting booed off, there'll be a lot of working to silence. It doesn't work. Most people have a great, good, a great first gig, a brilliant second gig, and mm. then they die. And they go, oh, my God, I'm going to have to readjust this. But you haven't really had that period of I had a fearlessness out. when I first started. Yeah. I was really fearless. And I had, I suppose it was that thing I had nothing to lose. I had such a shitty three years leading up to it. I'm like, what, the worst thing I'm going to do is bomb on stage? Sure, like, sure. Like, it's not the last three years, so why do you care? Sure. So, so as a result, you didn't bomb on stage because you weren't scared of bombing on stage. Yeah, more or less. Or, yeah. I, or I did, and it didn't affect me the way that it would now, for example. Okay. Um, so when I was doing more on, it felt like, I felt like halfway through the show going, but you, I know you want last year's show. I know you want me to stand on stage and tell stories and jokes and maybe a song, but it's not that. Like, halfway mm. through, I wanted to justify myself. Mm. And the numbers were good, like in or Melbourne especially, the numbers were great, um, but as far as audience members, but it wasn't through word of mouth, it was probably because I did a spot on the gala, yeah. and the gala got televised, and that's yeah. a great promotion. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of my first doubting myself, I suppose. Okay. Um, and then I didn't know what I was going to do. I did, uh, I got back from Edinburgh, and I had a, a m- month off of just not doing anything. And then I, this is where the charm life continues. I got offered a part on a movie, okay, on a feature film, by my comedy heroes who are called Working Dog, who made a show. Oh, they made the Castle. You might have. Oh, yeah, I've seen the Castle. Yes. Yeah. So wow. this was their third film. Okay. They made the Dish. They made the Castle and uh, our film. Any questions for Ben? And so I did a gig about a week before filming of that, and I had a panic attack that went for about two hours leading up to it, mm-hmm. and then on stage as well. And that's what was happening in Edinburgh. I was having panic attacks on stage. Okay. Which is the worst. And is that is that something you'd ever encountered before? Or were those your no. first panic attacks? No. Yeah. No, I'd never... You know how you get, like, nerves beforehand. You might still get nerves sure. beforehand. But as soon as you walk on stage, it goes, you stop sure. thinking about it. It's at the beginning of the year, like, when I was doing the two shows and the TV show. Oh, by the way, the TV show got axed after two episodes, I should say okay. that as well. Um, uh, 
I, it was just starting to creep on on stage and then it just but you never what I mean is outside of a performative context you'd never had panic attacks as a kid or as a adolescent or anything like I, that I didn't recognise them okay, I didn't sure. really I'd probably I was anxious before I think yeah. I always just had a low level of anxiety okay and then I started this you know working on having a good life and not having it most of the time mm. and then it coming all the time and you know sure. having to get off public transport that kind of stuff okay um because I just couldn't be there. And so that was happening on stage where I wanted to run while I was on stage and I was headlining, doing a 40-minute set yeah. and having bantering with someone and also having conversation in my head. And I, after that, that was the gig and I went, I've got to do something about this because yeah. this is fucking up everything. Okay. And so fortunately when the filming was happening, I couldn't do any gigs. And then I started seeing someone to get some help about that. And then I decided, right... It's just a stand-up show next. It's just a straight stand-up show. Sure. Do the jokes. No narrative. No theme. Okay. And that was the third show, which is part of the one that I'm bringing to Edinburgh this year. Let's just talk for a bit about the about the anxiety, if yeah. you're happy to. Absolutely. Um, because <coughs> I, I, some, I suffer a lot from anxiety myself, mm. and... It's interesting you hearing yourself. Does that description of bantering with someone and also having another conversation going on in your yeah. head? I I do that. Yeah. Frequently, I yeah. suppose when I'm bantering, maybe less so. But I hate the word. But I, yeah, you, you know, know what I mean? talking to someone in the audience. Totally yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it can be an incredibly destructive experience because it can stop you from. Uh, taking into account all the good things about what you're doing. Yeah. So what sort of conversation were you having in your head? What sort of things were you saying to yourself? It was really aggressive. Um, and it was... I'll be, I'll be very candid about this because I know that um, there might be other anxiety sufferers mm. listening to this. And I've been to the website. This is very common. One, the first one is get off stage, get off stage, get off stage. This mm. is shit get off stage, this is the, but also a sense of panic and I didn't know why. Um, the second one was you are going to wet your pants or you're going to shit yourself. Okay. And that was a very real thought in my head Okay. Um, to the point where that had sort of, uh, I went to extreme measures in Edinburgh, like I was wearing extra pants, not okay. pants as in underpants, um, like I would wear tights under my trousers sure. and stuff like that just in case that wow. ever happened. Okay. Like it went, cr- I was crazy. I was backstage in Edinburgh, we the and backstage is you know a meter by a meter, and yeah, there was yeah. a, a long mirror, and I remember like hate whispering at myself as the audience came in on the other side of the curtain, wow. going, "All right, now anxiety, you have to fuck off for an hour, you have okay. to fuck off, so I can do this fucking show, and you can come back, and you can be as horrible as you want, but I need you gone for an hour." Like okay. I was just trying anything to get it out. So that was the majority of it. It was, what if. And it will, but that was the, or the genesis of it was what if, what if you run off stage, what if you wet yourself, what if you lose control? Um, was it, was it to do with the, the performance? Were, were there, were there, like if you told a joke and it didn't get a laugh, would that be folded into it? Or was it just, was it irrespective? It the way you've described it is nothing to do with the performance. Irrespective, but then on top of that, if the performance wasn't, there was one night in Edinburgh. And there was this woman down the front who I had... You know how you convince people to come to your show? And then they do that really wonderful passive-aggressive thing going, we bought tickets, so you better be funny. And I was like, ha, 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 I'm a woman on the edge. Ha, 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 I'm on the border of tears. 
And so they were sitting in the front row and they were just, they were just hating it. They were hating it and they were looking at each other and they were sort of whispering and they felt a point of the show. It felt like they were going to stand up and leave and they were okay. in the front row. And I thought, if they leave, I will actually cry. Oh, that's the other thing, crying on stage. Sure. That's uh, nearly happened. Okay. Like, not as in a, this is so joyful. <laughs> yeah. That actually... No, nor in a kind of my dad's dead way. No. But in purely in a... I am not coping. I'm not. Well, This yeah. is not good. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened a couple of times um, where it would be... You can feel it. You can feel it up. in my eyes yeah. and I can feel my throat lumping and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this one. And so that had happened. And fortunately... I engaged her with a question mm-hmm. and she got really worked up in a funny way about it. Sure. And then that diffused the situation. But if sure. she'd left, I would have cried on stage. Okay. That was it. It was the, I had no defence by that stage. It, it's, it's, <laughs> one of the fascinating things for that for me is this question of it being, um, of whether it was irrespective of the show or not. Like, you'd be up there getting big laughs and what, discounting them? Or accepting I've got big laughs, but I also shouldn't be here. Or was there was there no connection between? It's not really a connection. The laughs were great, but it was a panic that it's a. It's a panic attack panic. that you could have been having on a on uh, an airplane or on a. Or train walking or down the street, or okay. yeah, it was happening. Or it, but it seemed to be linked up with when I would perform in any sense. So when I was in a radio okay. station, okay. you know, doing a, a, an interview or co-hosting or something, I'd think right. So there'll be like eight minutes before there's a break. The songs are about three minutes. If I had to, could I go to the toilet then? So sure. it became, it revolved around that. That sure. was what my anxiety hung itself on. Okay. Other people have... But you, you weren't suffering from those moments in non-performance related context? I was still, uh, no, I was still anxious as a person. You sure, but you weren't um, worrying about going to the toilet. You weren't worrying about freaking out. Those were linked would, around performance, definitely, but also on public transport that would happen as well, okay. um, or in a meeting, anywhere that I had to be. Sure. So if I'm just walking around, it was okay. If okay. I had to be somewhere that I couldn't leave, okay. that's when that would start. Okay. So, uh, were there other coping strategies that you devised other than working out where the loos are and how many minutes you got of the song? I did everything, mate. I did everything and it just didn't feel like before I went and got outside help, Mm. it just didn't feel like any of it meant anything. I did meditation. I called people. I got distracted. I tried to write the thoughts down. I walked it off. I exercised. and I just couldn't get it out of my body. It was just there. And so, yeah, as I said, I had to go and get professional help with that. And and in terms of that help, and obviously wanting to give all respect to that, you know, mm. I don't want to go too deeply or into, into any way you don't want to. Um, but can you talk to me about what you've learned from that? Whether there is a connection between the performance and that that state, or where that comes from? Because it seems yeah. from the outside to you, it sort of seems like wow, this is you're a, you seem like a comedy overachiever. Do you right. know what I mean, you've started, it's all gone brilliantly, you've had the awards, you've had the recognition, DVD being recorded the other night, it's all, it's all absolutely, you, you know, you're nailing it. So it's not like there's some of the, uh, you're not saying the sorts of things I associate with worried or anxious stand-up comedians, which are, I didn't get that chance, I didn't get that thing, what yeah. about that person, those sort of jealousy or those sorts of things. Yeah. It feels very different. So do you, have you started to, to discover why it's linked to those times of performance. I had to change my lifestyle in that I couldn't... I think... I, I, I assume it's pretty common where you assume that every job you get offered is the last job you're ever going to have. Sure. So when I first started getting job offers, 
um, any of them. I took all of them. And I was like, I'm a powerhouse. I can do anything. Okay. It's a new life, blah, blah, blah. Forgetting that I'm not 50 kilos. Mm-hmm. I'm not even 50 kilos. I'm a little person. I need a lot more sleep than I think that I do. Mm. I need to eat really well. Mm. All these really basic things that other people can sort of skive on. I just can't. I can't cheat it. And, and that's what I was doing. And also, the the if I'm perfectly honest about it, going from being the outsider of the, in, in, in the comedy world but being an outsider, like being a stage manager to a manager mm. that no one really wants to get to know, to all of a sudden being in that and people do want to talk to you and people do want to hang out with you and people do want to dance till 4 o'clock in the morning with you. Mm. I know that that's really shallow, but it, it felt like prior to doing any of this and when I was, you know, before sketch or even during the sketch that's what my life was I'm a very sociable person and mm. you know I, I like hanging out with people I like conversations and blah 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 so to be someone that gets looked down on because of their job or isn't important enough to get spoken to that was a, a change for me because mm. um, again I was perf- a, bef- a performer before that um, so I, I probably burnt the candle at both ends for the first year and a half in every okay. respect. Okay. I wasn't drinking or taking drugs, but I would go out all night and want to do everything that there was to be done and, mm. and then do all the work on top of that, not knowing that I actually have to look after myself. Because I started, my first stand-up spot was when I was 28 years old. Sure. It wasn't when I was 19 and I was finding no. out who I was. It was back end. Back end, Stu. Same, man. Um... So, uh, what was the was the question? Um, uh, just about what discoveries you've made about the oh. connection between performance and, and right. that anxiety. So, uh, there was some stuff like in the therapy sessions where basically, uh, you know, like they do inner child work and you go back mm. and blah blah blah. And there was we went back to a moment where I want really wanted to get on this I don't know if it's relevant even to talk about it if but you're also, happy to talk I'm about happy it to I, talk it's about exactly it. the stuff where you go blah 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 <coughs> that's the stuff I'd, okay. I'd, I'd be interested to hear so my therapist made me go back to the earliest memory that I could and the earliest memory that I had where we were in the, we were in the beer garden me and my family there was a really high stool and mm. I was a tiny child and I really whinged at my mum to get up there I was like mum mum I want to get up I want to get up and then she put me up there and then as soon as I got up there, I went, I want to get down. And then I went, but I don't want to bother mum because I just bothered her the whole way up. And then I jumped off and I split my chin open and had to get stitches. Okay. So that was the, that was the first memory that I could think of. And I was about two or three. And so my therapist used that as an example to say, uh, to draw comparisons of being on stage and being at a high place and okay. feeling that maybe you don't belong there, but also not asking for help. So she came up with this mantra that I would say beforehand where I'd say falling is not failing. Okay. So I would walk, and I, I, I paced before gigs, but if you ever see me before a gig, I will be I pace for hours or sure. I dance, I put headphones on. Okay. I have to do something physical that gets me into sort of a meditative or calm enough physical state where I'm not okay. overwhelmed okay. with adrenaline. So I'd say that, I do that, I do meditation, that helps me as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then I say, this is back to the spiritual thing, I say a few prayers. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure not many people will be comfortable enough to say that or comfortable enough to hear about that. But yeah, I do, I pray before I go on stage. Okay, to, to, you said you're spiritual but not religious. Yeah. You're praying to the universe? Just something, yeah, okay. just something bigger than myself. It's something agnostic. Um, it's 
my theory is if I'm the most powerful thing in the world, then we're all in a bit of trouble. So I can, I, I like to think that there's something bigger than me that's sure. organising something. I don't even know what it is. Okay. Um, uh, and is that, has that developed? Has the prayer developed as a result of the therapy or were you doing that before? I was doing that before. Okay. And that sort of came from um, something else that I won't go into. But sure. um, uh, it's not a cult, don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the other thing that it's actually only happened a couple of... Uh, happened last week at the Hi-Fi. Okay. So I was emceeing at the Hi-Fi. And beforehand, I, I got like... Um, I got anxiety, not nerves. I got anxiety where... Yes. My chest started to beat before I went on stage and I felt like I had tears in my eyes and I went up to my friend and I said, I'm sort of having a bit of anxiety. Is it going to be all right? She's like, it's going to be fine. And she's, I've talked to her about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I just had this sort of a little bit of epiphany that I just went, I am not my body. And so I went, okay, body, you do whatever you want on stage. You have a panic attack, that's fine. Me, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my job and my job is to be an MC. Sure. So I sort of gave it permission to have its anxiety attack if I wanted. Okay. And did that work? Was and that it successful? Worked immediately. You had a blinding gig. I saw that gig. It was amazing. And then all, all of the gigs that I've done since then, if the nerves have come up, I've just gone, it's all right. If your body, if you need to have an anxiety attack and you need to feel that, that's yeah. totally fine. I have to go out and do my job anyway, so come with me. Okay. And God. Oh, my God. I'd love to be able to do that. That sounds great. Yeah. So that's that's a new thing. Yeah. Um, and then I do, sometimes I'll do push-ups or I'll just do something to try and get the energy out because I can be quite a hyperactive person anyway. Mm. And there's a difference between when I'm sort of, my friend came up with this great word, juddering. Yes. It's when yeah. you're sort of shuddering with adrenaline or you don't yes. really know what it is. Okay. But you can't stop it. And sometimes it's good, you know, like if you're about to kiss someone, you're like, oh, that feeling. Sure. But when it's, when, because I'm, I can be quite physical on stage. Sure. I like to be in command of my body so that it's not just happening without me. Are you able to make those decisions on stage whilst it's happening? Like if you're on stage and you notice yourself having a bit of a judder or, or you notice a conversation starting again about, you know, some sort of self-downing conversation. Yeah. Are you able to arrest that on stage? Yes, now I am. Okay. And you'll, uh, something that you might see if you've ever seen me live before or in the future, if I rub my stomach, mm-hmm. it's usually me just trying to go, right, just bring it back. Just stop. Just take a second. Even if they don't laugh for 10 seconds, okay. just sit here and make eye contact with people in the room, calm yourself, center yourself and get back to it. Great. So I rub my stomach a lot on stage. I, I touch my chest. Yeah, I, I I've only too. just realized that I don't. I, I sort of, I've incorporated it as yes. a thing I do without yes. knowing why I do it, but I think that's why I do it. Well, the, it was a thing in therapy where if I wanted to speak honestly, like I would put my, well, my right hand on my stomach, I put my left hand on my chest, and then we'd sort of like do breathing work, sure. and I would, but that's how I would talk to her. So I do that a lot on stage. If I, if I had two hands, I would put both of them there. Yeah. But that's, radio mic, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. There. <laughs> a couple of shows I do radio yeah. mic. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's sort of how I get a bit more centred now okay so do you feel something I've often (coughs) found in improvisation when I'm working when I'm on stage is that sometimes a sort of a crisis mode or some sort of challenge will get the best work out of me you know like if you're the difference between like like you were saying with working with your with your director yeah someone there to impress yeah that there's almost an element in which nerves or fear or or adrenaline can be a good thing yes do you feel that you can be calm on stage and still come up with 
the good stuff that that's you when would. I'm best really yes because I still feel the pressure of being in front of people because um, you have to perform sure uh, but it's just a I did I did set list the other night oh yeah and it was just I've done it a bunch of times but it was I've listened to your podcast a lot and what what is sort of a paradox with within me is mm. that when I'm in conversation with someone that's when I write my best jokes mm. but yet on stage I need to go on with a full a full script of what I'm going to say okay and then I can ad lib on top of that but okay. I can't go on with bullet points and punchlines and just work sure. into it and yet I did set list the other night and probably wrote the best thing I've ever written in my life. But it's not recorded anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know oh, what I said. Oh, no. Was it, you were, we were talking <laughs> about this with, uh, with Seals and Josie. Um, about, it was about motherhood, wasn't it? About babies. It, and yes, stuff. it was about... It was about um, so, you know, like in, in your subconscious, there are big thoughts that plant themselves and eventually one day you would like to be able to talk to them about them on stage but in such a funny way that it yes. doesn't feel preachy yes um, and it doesn't look like you're trying to be insightful it's sure. just something that you've mulled over time that is okay. naturally developed I can really do that and make it sound funny enough or sincere enough whatever it is and so yeah it was it was this the topic was uh, sexual tension relay and I started talking about when you're uh, you know, when women are outnumbering the men in the bar and you're curling your hair so tight that you're ripping chunks out and you're, yeah. you know, dropping in references that you really like hip hop and Point Break's your favourite movie and cricket just to differentiate you from other people. Sure. And then it sort of started talking about the, I wanted to create an Olympic event and it would be the sexual tension relay and what you did is you had to do something to impress the man at the other he was at the finish Lovely. line and that That's was the great. only way that you could move forward and then I realised it's the most sexist <laughs> sexist <laughs> misogynistic relay race of all time and then the end of it was, oh, and in the middle of it I was saying that you know that I nearly got married when I was 26 and I was two weeks away and I had the wedding dress and I had the ring and all of that happened so that when it didn't happen I didn't have to ever worry about wanting to get married again. I didn't have to be one of those women in their 30s. Not knowing and, what it's like. Never had because to do Because you knew I what it was like. I lived you, with yeah. him. Yeah, we were yeah. engaged. It's, I did all that. Bar the actual marriage and uh, or the wedding and having a child, I did everything. So I thought I would never have to worry about that. And now I'm 32 and I'm finding myself, I have, I, up until this week, I have never been able to say the phrase, I want to get married and have babies. Because sure. I didn't know that was the truth. Sure. And so this came out on stage. And then I said uh, something like, um, but even if you do win the race and you do get with the man, you lose ultimately because five years in, you've com you realise you compromised every part of your authentic self to get to that man. And then five years in, you resent him because you've turned into the archetype of the woman you promised you'd never be. And wow. I was like, whoa! And that's what I mean earlier when I was saying things just get delivered to me. Sure. So that just got delivered to me as if sure. someone else had written it in my brain and went, there you go. Okay. And I was just saying someone else's lines. Okay. So that happened, but I don't know how to make that funny ever again. Let's talk about your, about how your acting background plays out on stage because you're a very physical performer yes and you're a very there's loads of characterization in your work yes is that something is that which came first the actor training or the voices and faces and voices stuff like and that? faces okay time i was born mm -hmm. um dress ups all of that stuff i've always done voices and 
I used to, I still do, sometimes just practice accents just because it's fun. Sure. Walk around the house in a different accent or in a character that I have come up with or a character that I think is a character just sitting there waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was, again, kind of the frustrating thing when we started Ronnie John's. The first week of writing, I'm like, how about this character? How about this character? They're like, she's amazing. I'm like, how about this character? And that's because I had 24 years to come up with characters. Yeah, sure. And then by week three, I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> all right, it's um, looking around the room. It's uh, a guy who's a shoe. It, it's yeah. set in an office. Um, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, so, yeah, because I do, I do that in conversation anyway. That's mm-hmm. not, it's just an extension. Me on stage is pretty much an extension of who I am in real life. Sure. It's, they're pretty close. Are, you, are you being who you want to be on stage? At the moment, it feels like I am. Yeah. You are? Yeah. Okay. That feels really good. Um, I still don't know. There's still, obviously, there's lots of room for me to get better in a lot of different ways. Sure. But it feels like I'm getting closer to... It feels like it's moving at the pace that I would like to. Okay. In that I'm developing my writing at the pace that I would want to and okay. talking about things that I would want to. At, at a good pace a career is a really long time sure and my theory is I have to be better than the last year okay. whatever happens it has to be better than the last year okay so I can't get too good otherwise there's, there's a no lot of pressure room. yeah okay so uh, are there any things that feel to you that are intangible I'm not, I don't mean career wise but I mean in your work do you do you see people do I don't know what like um, like the example with me with me would be I saw I'm going to get him on the, on the show I hope a guy called Alistair and I never know if it's Trembley Birchall or yes. Birchall Trembley. I'm yes. afraid I haven't got Trembley that in my head. Alistair Trembley Birchall. Yes. yes, I hope I'm going to talk to him because his show just blew me away. But one of the things that I think is really exciting is he's got a really good sense of ideas, of taking a funny idea yeah. and pulling everything out yes. of it and looping it back around. Yeah. I look at something like that and I go, oh, that's so, like, I like the clever loopy bits. I like my clever stuff. But I'm not naturally a clever kind of guy. In yeah. fact, this this month and previous month, I think I've started to notice that I, I've got a stronger suit in physicality that I'm currently using. I think a lot of things, right? I can I can have my clever idea, or I can go on and just kind of div around a bit. And actually, that's a bit funnier and more natural. Yeah. But I'm obsessed with. Oh no, I want to be the clever guy. I want yeah. I want my jokes to be like a heist movie where the end is revealed and you go ah oh. oh, like this. Are there any equivalent things? Oh, to I you? think that we're actually quite similar okay. in, in the the way that we. Um, in the way that we, well, a way that we are on stage. I remember when I was doing Hedgehog, um, and I remember writing it, going, "There's too many act outs as punchlines." Sure. And now I've been obsessed with watching comedians that I love to see if they do act outs. Okay. Because I'm quite—that's where I can write really good, like I can come up with really good conversations, and I, that's what I do most naturally in conversation in real life. Yeah. And that's where I get jokes—is assuming myself as assuming another character, sure. and having a conversation with myself. I can do that and make that funny, mm-hmm. but like, I know this is really lame. I'm really not very good at callbacks. I'm okay. just not. Okay. Like the show that I'm taking to Edinburgh, I have to sit down and I have to weave it together because at the moment it's an hour of really funny. Yeah. And that's it. Well, that's the be- <coughs> Anyone could do callbacks. Anyone can sit there for no. an hour and watch the show and I can't. connect that to that. Because I can't. There. Right. I'll not do. anyone can. That's, <laughs> and when I do, I'm like, did everyone see that? Pat me on the back because I'm doing something that everyone else can. So, yeah, that. that I, Celia Procola is um, who's also been on the show. She is someone that I look at, and I just see she pulls apart an idea. Yes, and I have always envied that. I've or, and I've spoken to her about that. Um, I remember I had uh, I have this bit now. It's like a Mary Poppins bit, 
and um, I, I was talking to her about it and I said, I don't know what to do. I've got this Mary Poppins bit and I need to break it. Yeah. There's really good ideas in there, but I don't know how to turn it into a bit. And she just said, pull it apart, write everything you know about it down. And she sort of gave me some hints and I pulled it apart and for once it worked and now it turns mm. into a bit that mm. really works very well. Um, so I think as much as it isn't natural for me, it requ- I just require of myself to work harder. Yeah. That I, it's just going to take more work for me to be funny, as funny as I want to be. Sure. I'm goofy on stage and that can get some laughs. I'm good with audience interaction, that gets laughs. The jokes that I have are reasonable, are, albeit sort of shorter than I would like, but they, it feels like I'm getting longer and longer bits, mm-hmm. routines. Mm-hmm. I, I did, was it Mike Gunn that you had on here? Mm-hmm. And he, talk about, he talked about the columns. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, did, as soon as I did that, I'm like, I'm going to try that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing was, it brought it brought me absolutely no luck whatsoever with the topics that I was trying to flesh out. But other jokes would pop up. Sure. That it, at a more frequent yeah. occurrence, if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah. that was helpful. So it's about getting back into that as well. Um. Yeah. So that's that's I with the same thing. Just seeing someone that can dissect an idea from every single angle in an interesting way mm. and then tie it all up at the end. Matt O'Kine is another person that's done okay. that. He's got seven minutes on toasters. Okay. Just, and it's just flawless, observational, every angle. It's just beautiful. I love Matt. I have such, I just have such a stage crush on him. He's just awesome. <laughs> um, that's something that, yeah. And I, I think that I would like to be smarter than I am on stage. I can okay. do a great dick joke. I can do a grade A dick joke. My blue stuff can be really, really funny. Yeah. I would like to be... Someone asked me to do a job and they said, can you do 30 minutes of clean? I went, absolutely not. Yeah. I do not have 30 minutes of clean after four or five years. That's it's a little bit disappointing. If you need half an hour of filth, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I empathise with that a lot. Are, at what rate do you turn over material? Do you... You're trying to write an hour every year. Do you write more than an hour and peel it back? Or do you, are you writing, I mean, do you write, you know, what, what, what sort of, in your, okay, here's a question. In your, in your sets, when you need to go and do a club set, yeah. what's the turnover of your club set? Do you keep putting in new stuff from your hour shows or do you have a, your club 20? No, that changes all, uh, a lot. Um, in the first year when I was doing Ugly, I wrote such a copious amount and it would all just come to me. I never had writer's block for the first 18 months. Mm-hmm. It was just like, here's something else funny. Here's something else funny. I feel brave enough to do this on stage. Sure. I'll do this. And then it started to slow down a bit. And then I was doing this um, essay reading show. So I loved doing my spots and more stuff would come up then. And then when I was just doing, the third show was just a stand-up show. So I was like, I've got all this stuff in the last two mm. and a half years. Mm. So just put all of that in there. And then when I was writing the fourth show, Hedgehog, all I could write was stuff related to this Hedgehog stuff, you know, yeah. around that theme. And so I wrote hardly any club material. Yeah. So for 18 months I was using stuff from the last three or four years yeah. and everyone had seen that stuff in the last three or four yeah. years so I was starting to get self-conscious about it. And it's not like in the UK where there's comedy clubs all the time and no one's ever seen you before. Sure. There's the same, you know, like in Adelaide, uh, Adelaide, there's a run of clubs that you do for four nights in a row. Okay. And I went there two years ago and 
fortunately in the last six months or seven months I've written a glut of new club stuff yeah which is such a fucking relief yeah but again it's like I'm waiting for someone else to deliver so you feel like you can't do the same bit in the same club twice I can but I'm not I just reckon you should have a new 40 after 18 months yeah okay I, I don't know I don't know if that's yeah, that seems like a reasonable... Is that... 40, 18, yeah, totally, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just... I, I, that's what I want anyway. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. But when I go back to the UK and stuff like that, I use old stuff, I use bankers because I'm still figuring out how sure. I play over there, if sure. I play over there, and, you know, what ways the best to be over there. The interesting thing is I did Russell Howard last year. Yeah. And that's um that's 15 minutes of material burnt. Mm-hmm. And, I could, and if the opportunity comes up that I would do any other TV spots. You can't you know, do your Russell stuff. Yeah, that yeah. stuff's gone. Yeah, yeah. Which is, that's okay as well. But fortunately, as I said, I've written all of this new stuff, which is a lot cleaner than I used to be. And I think the writing is a lot better. Okay. But so was that part of the choice then? That was a deliberate decision to go, right, I'm going to write clean. So that I can have clean stuff. It was more, not clean. It was just like, all right. You're really good at swearing, Felicity. So let's see if we can put that aside for the moment and yes, see if okay. there's a better punchline. Okay. Um, and that has real. I know that 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 might sound really dumb, and um, other people go, "Yeah, swearing's lazy," and swearing is lazy. But I'm really good at it because I'm from a small town. Mm-hmm. So um, I tried to, yeah, I've, I've tried to go. Okay, yes, you want to use that word. Let's just put it aside. That's, so that's been a, a, a recent thing and fortunately it worked. Do you think that you, having been an actor, how long were you an actor for? I went, started acting classes when I was seven. Okay. And then I started doing comedy, sketch comedy when I was 24. Okay. And never done sketch. So do you feel like, I mean you experienced, you, you mentioned that experience of going, I found my thing. Do you think there's anything else you could do? Can you imagine yourself ever not being a comedian? I don't know. This is sort of the approach that I used to have, and this is why I don't think acting ever worked for me, is because I wanted it so badly Uh and I chased it and I choked it and I suffocated it and so that nothing else could happen with it. Okay. And then when I decided to, I sort of had this bit of epiphany and I went, you know what, if Ronnie Johns is the only thing I ever do creatively, if I have to be a waitress for the rest of my life, of which I was for most of it, um, then you've made 26 episodes of TV. That's fucking Mm. incredible. Mm. and then just let it go and then you know all of the stuff that's happened to me since then has just sort of happened naturally because I don't I work really hard um, but I don't chase it the same way I do what I, it, I I do what I can to to get what I hope but I don't expect it and I don't chase it <laughs> talking about anxiety I love talking about anxiety because after I had started getting help for it I started telling people I'm getting some help for anxiety and they go oh I've got that and I was just astounded at how many comedians do have and I'm like well why aren't we having a chat about this Mm -hmm. and maybe it's the um, you know the king of the jungle stuff where you want to look like you're brave all of the time and that's just not how that's just not how I work I mean I have a lot of bravado and I'm very confident on stage but a lot of my jokes come from being vulnerable or self-deprecating and I I think that it's I think it's better if we talk about it you know it's interesting actually you you are super confident yes and you oh there we go there's your answer yes I am am when you say things like this is what I do this is how I am 
in a in a way that just that belies a confidence that I wish I had that I could go. I am this person. This is how I do it. This is just for today too. Like is it? You know, like a week ago, I could could have been a mess and felt really self conscious and. Um, I got my L's yesterday. I got my P plates yesterday. My probationary license yesterday. Oh yeah, okay. And Congratulations. Too. So there's lots of things that I still feel insecure about. I'm not great at commercial radio. I know that I'm not very good at that. I would like to get better at that. Okay. Um, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not great at writing sketches for other people because sure. I think I just know how to do it. I've written it with my brain, whereas I, you know, Celia can just write so much stuff she's so prolific and yeah. I, I reference her a lot because we lived together for three mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. and we sort of came up together at the same time and so that, that's always the things that I just I just find her dazzling that she can they say oh we need a we need a script for an episode of this and she goes how about this yeah where I'd sit there going you're not a writer yeah you're not a writer you're a fake they're gonna see through it they've got better people they've chosen you poorly sure Sure. Yeah, that's the one I most identify with in yeah. those two examples. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I think that we're quite similar. Mm. That we probably have it because you have a confidence on stage. You're confident on stage. Yeah. 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 You 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 play up your coyness on stage. I think. Do you, do I? Yes. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Go on. What do how do you mean? I which is you you know how to play your charm, and I think that you are sure. quite charming on stage. Sure. And okay. I would say. Something that I'm self-conscious about is sometimes I wonder if I'm more charming than funny. Oh God! I was having this conversation with my friend Andy last night. Yes. I I worry. That's my fear. People often people often <laughs> some listeners of the show occasionally email me and say, "Hey, you should get someone to interview you." And I'm like, "No, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't to want everyone to know what I tell." I mean, you get every episode. You know what a basket yeah. case I am. But um, or you know my fragilities, let's say. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, that's one of the... I was having this conversation last night that I, I have that real deep-seated fear that uh, I'm just charm. I'm just It's just charm and smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I, f- I feel like that recently that has changed for me or is changing, yeah. which is a good thing and a fucking relief. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where I've got, you know, a couple of new bits, like 10 or 15 minutes of stuff that I've written in the last couple of months that I'm like, they're joke jokes. Yes. They're joke jokes and they're only funny because they're of the words that are on paper, not yes. because of the way that you're delivering them. Okay. Or, and that is a real relief. But I, yeah. that my, still con- my, cons- my fear is that people will look at me and go, yeah, she's very charming and she's a goofball, and that's, but how good are her jokes? Sure. So no matter how good I think I am at other parts of my job, there will always be something that I don't think I'm good enough at. Mm-hmm. So for all the confidence... Yeah. I'm just very clear about what my faults are at the moment and what my strengths are. Sure, sure. Well, that seems like a healthy attitude towards your your strengths and your weaknesses, your faults. Um, I think it's it can be some it can be so habitual, can't it? Because like, you know, yeah, I am I am confident on stage. Mm. I am confident. I have got jokes, mm. I've got material. I've done some great gigs recently, mm. but. I think the stick with which I beat myself and go, oh, I'm just, it's just charm, there's nothing really there. That's, that's quite an old stick that it's I've had around stick. for a long time. And it's a real habit to just reach across and grab the old stick old from faithful. the place where, exactly, absolutely. I'll just keep doing it. And really, well, there's a, quite a lot of evidence yeah. to the contrary now, you know. And also, you know, and it, are you doing it for other people? You know, like, are you saying, oh, I'm just all charm for other people? And because it, it's, I think it's a difficult, um, industry to be confident in mm. without people going oh fuck she's got tickets on herself 
Sure. You know, like it's not very. That's a lovely. I've never heard that expression. She's got tickets on herself. Got tickets on yourself. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's you won't hear people go. You'll either hear complete hubris and arrogance. Yeah. Like I fucking smashed it, mate. I fucking smashed, mate. They were doubling over, and you saw yeah. the gig. You're like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it was okay. Or there's, but there's also being honest about it and saying I did really well. Yeah. I did, you know, like on uh, the DVD filming, it was really magical. And that's not me saying I'm the best comedian that ever happened, but that is one of the top three performances of that show. Yeah. And I love that show and I'm really proud of that show. And the audience were so supportive from the moment that I stepped out. It was just one of those times where all the stars aligned and that's what yeah. live performance is about. It yeah. has to be about on the odd occasion, everything will line up and you will experience something that everyone there will never experience ever again in that particular calibration. Does that make sense? Sure. That has to be an option. Otherwise, why would we keep doing it? Just tell us then, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this, but just tell us about pilot season. How did that go? What was that like, the experience of being in America? and Fine, horrible, weird. Yeah. It was, it's... Uh, were there any other Aussies out there? There's heaps of Aussies out there. Oh, okay. Heaps. Um, the wonderful thing is that the Australians that were there really go out of their way to make you feel at home because LA is a disparate, isolated, weird city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when I started doing stand-up over there that I felt at home again. Okay. So, so you were doing really stand-up good. while you are out there? Yes. Okay. And I'd done it six months before when a hedgehog I took to LA for a couple of nights after mm-hmm. Edinburgh, off the back of Edinburgh. And... Is that something you were offered or did you go, I'm taking this? Okay. So I, it was like Edinburgh last year was a dream. It was just a dream. Basically an American agent came to my show and came backstage afterwards and was like, that's amazing, blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking it was blah, blah, blah. Thinking it was an American being an American. And then, um, then I ended up signing with him and he's a big agent in America, which I didn't know. And they said, we've got to bring the show to America. And I went, uh, well, when do you want to do that? Because I'm flying back to Australia at the end of September. And so three weeks, two weeks after Edinburgh, I flew to LA and they set it up and invited a bunch of TV people. And Holy hell. Yeah. And then we did meetings, you know, and met people. And I did some stand-up while I was there. And the alternative gigs I did well, like at the indie rooms. Uh-huh. But it, I did one club set and I just died in a way. I haven't died for, for years. Wow. Whereabouts was that? Where were you? Laugh Factory, midnight show, Friday okay. night. Um, they have a 10 o'clock show and a 12 o'clock show. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't tell me if they stopped having the break because not enough people were turning up to the 12 o'clock show. Okay. So basically you go on after the headliner. Wow. So the headliner is oh, so there's Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's like a four-hour show or whatever. With the same people in it? Yeah. So it duplicates, but there's no break in between. Oh, no, it doesn't duplicate. It's two different lineups for okay. a 10 o'clock and a 12 Oh, I see, show. I see. But if you're opening the late show... Which I was. ...you're following the headliner. Yes. Oh, my God. So it's midnight. They've just laughed harder than they've ever laughed at someone from TV. And Americans yeah. really love recognition... Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. ...on stage. And... Uh, I was weird because I'm Australian and my accent, I didn't know how to slow down. Mm. So I have to slow down when I'm over there. Um, I had a, a onesie on. That's a mistake, apparently. The whole package was just a bit too much sure. for them. And I actually got the dries, like my throat yeah. dried in the middle. I'm like, oh, no. I was thinking late show, a bit of a blue crowd. And they just don't, they don't love blue over there. Okay. Um, and so when I was going back there, I did not want to do gigs because I thought, I can't play clubs. I'll die. I'll sure. die and again and again and again. 
And then the first gig I had was this club and I did very well. I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. It's like, oh, God, it's back. All right. And then did heaps of gigs and felt awesome about it. The auditions, I got one call back for one sitcom. So I did like seven auditions for sitcoms, okay. which was great. Okay. Um, but there was also a glut of family sitcoms. So it was lots of women in their late 30s with like three kids. And mm-hmm. I look a little bit young and beautiful for that. No, I just, <laughs> it, I just wasn't right for the part. But um, yeah, I got a call back for one of them. So that was a really big deal. The amount of people that go for every single audition is yeah. overwhelming overwhelming and everyone's making something and everyone's trying and sure so just if someone says i tested for something that means they got down to the top two people wow that is a huge deal if someone said they tested you give them a big hug and say you did an amazing job sure okay god Mm. so you were i'm just i'm just fascinated by that whole by that whole world it's so alien to me i kind Mm. of all i know about auditions is going for commercial and the odd series audition yeah, in yeah. London and it's hideous and you're sat there with a bunch of people who all look slightly like you yeah. or since I became a comic you're sat there with people who are just a comedian and like yeah. you could be any you know it's just we need a, a stand-up comedian type yeah. for this job and so it's you know it's actually a lot nicer because it's you and all your friends you know from the circuit so it was just lots more people doing it Did were you well treated was it pleasant experience or were you constantly scared or um, yeah it was pretty it was pretty good experience um I don't. I was telling a friend who's an actor, and I said I was having this conversation, blah blah blah. Um, and she goes, "You're having a conversation in the audition room." I went, "Yeah." yeah. She goes, yeah. "Oh my god, I never talk to people." I'm like, "Really? Oh, because okay. I was striking up conversations." Sure, of course like, you were. You're a person. We should have some eye contact. Hey, yeah, how's yeah. What are you? And I suppose, in retrospect, some of them did look at me strangely, but um, <laughs> you know, made some friendships. Um, so I didn't really have an idea of what it would be before I got there. Um, I'm very glad that I did it and I'll probably go back next year. My visa came in 12 days later than I wanted Mm -hmm. to and that made a really big difference. A lot of, I think the HBO stuff had been cast by then and I had quite a good meeting with them the year before and there were some, yeah, things that I would like to do again properly. Okay. Yeah, so that was was the weird thing being an actor again. Thank God I'm a stand-up now. Yeah, right. That's all I could think. Thank God I'm a stand-up because if nothing happens with acting, I'm a stand-up comedian. Sure. And I write my stuff and I can perform it whenever I want. And it's such a wonderful self-sufficiency being a stand-up. It's horrible and it's lonely, but it's also wonderful and self-sufficient. So thanks to Felicity. Thanks to Sarah Grun for production assistance. Uh, I'm having an amazing time here in New Zealand. I'm just back from a little mini tour here. So with a bit of luck, I can see some shows this week and then get some more interviews done for you. Uh, Thanks to Dan Melrose and Graham Crockford as ever. And I'll speak to you soon. Alistair Tremblay-Birchall next week. Really looking forward to that one. I'll speak to you then. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, 
and monetize their podcast everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>